Welcome back to another episode of Stimulate Your Mind, proudly presented to you by LOF Productions. Welcome back, everyone, to Stimulate Your Mind. Today, I'm joined by Latif Aqil, a brother from Perth and one of the volunteers and uh, the youth group at Twelva. So, Latif, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? But first of all, how are you doing and how is Perth? <laughs> uh, alhamdulillah, bro. Um, no, Perth is Perth. Is Perth. Uh, I guess uh, we always get teased about being this little hidden city somewhere in Australia. Um, but yeah, alhamdulillah, everything's well. Uh, nothing, nothing really out of the ordinary, especially when you compare it to Sydney. It's, it's very basic, <laughs> very basic. Yeah, Sydney is a very big city, so. No, I mean, yeah, when I, I've never been to Sydney, honestly. Uh, it's just been Perth. But every time someone comes over, I'm like, well, where'd you come from? Which city did you come from? So I go to Sydney or Melbourne. I'm like, all right, tell me about it. And yeah, the, the things that you hear about Sydney and Melbourne, you're just like, what time you compared to that? Real time. Yeah, it's a, it's a different country. <laughs> honestly, it's what they say as well. Like, I'm really curious about Auburn. Like they're like Auburn. Yeah. How did you hear about Auburn? <laughs> Everyone's like, you're walking in there. You don't even know, you don't even need to learn English. Like, yeah, it, that's that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm very curious about that because we have like Chinatown, right? But it's like three, four shops. Oh, uh, we have we have a whole suburb of Chinatown. Then you have like each suburb has its specific ethnic minorities, and now Auburn's one of those uh, very Middle Eastern uh, suburbs. No, that's what I want. Lots man. of Iraqis, Turks, Afghans. Is there someone Arabic? My chance, you know. I've been looking for that. Is there someone? Someone Arabic. So, you know, someone. The one that's like a... Oh, someone. Yes, yes, yes. Iraqi bread. Yeah, 100%. That's, that's my ticket. Inshallah, we <laughs> Yeah, you should come visit. <laughs> nah, khair, inshallah. Um, yeah, about myself, I guess. I don't know what's to say. Name's Latif Aqib. Uh... My surname is actually Alborich, but I prefer to go by Latif Abid because uh, my father, his name is Abid, and um, he's, he's been such a, he's, he's honestly my mentor. Everything that I have, everything that I've learned uh, is from my father. He teaches through actions and not just his words. And even when he's, what he says, for me, it's like pearls of wisdom, you know? He's gone through a lot, mm. and um, I really appreciate everything that he's done for me. So the, the little that I, that I, have the opportunity to offer in any public forum with any sort, it's always Latif Abdel. Not in honor for my name, but in honor of his name. I'm, I'm proud that I have his name as part of mine. So, yeah, that's why it, some people like to say, Latif Abdel, Latif Abdel, which one is it? <laughs> why don't you tell us a little bit about your father then? I can talk about my father forever, so it's going to be tough to say a little bit about him. But, uh, my father, he's, he's, a, he's one of those figures where he doesn't give up, absolutely doesn't give up. And this is a common trait with any migrant, really. He, but right. his story for me, but of course, my father, he was young, uh, 13 years old, in Iraq. He opened up the shop, his first shop. And he would tell me how excited he was about it. You know, like, finishes school, opens up the shop and starts selling, uh, he was just selling the... Uh, just some cold drinks during summer. Uh, cold drinks and ice cream. He's like, that's it. I had a little shop. Yeah. I would sell that. But from there, he opened a second shop, a third shop. By the age of 17 or 18, he had four shops. And um, all side by side and fruit and veg and grocery, the whole lot. 
And then when it happened that they had to go to Rafha, go to Saudi uh, Hajaz, and he had to abandon all that. Was he, he's like, that's it. What can I do? He left it. And during uh, Rafha, the refugee camp, he opened a business over there as well. So like, for me, no like he just doesn't give up. He's like, there's no money, so we would trade. It's like, I trade a blanket for something. And then he comes to Australia and... Uh, but he's always he's always balanced it. It's not just business one. It's like business, my family, my religion, my religion above all, my business to serve my religion. He'll come to me and like I work with my father, and that's the greatest honor for me. And I, I've, my background in my bachelor's degree is graphic design and creative advertising, and I'm currently studying a master's of teaching to become a primary school teacher. Inshallah. Um, but I will, for me, I can get a job easily. In any of those fields, uh, I've been offered jobs. But you tell me if you work with your father. I mean, there's something, there's something different when you work with your father. I go home, yeah, like, there's the sales that I've done, and it's just something else. There's a special sweetness to it. Is it a, is it a way for you to uh, show appreciation for your father as well as uh, be mentored by him? Of course, of course. I, I didn't realize in the beginning that. Uh, only once I started looking into mentorship, uh, to be honest, uh, Sayyid Hassan Makki, uh, when he started doing that spiritual warrior program, he was speaking about the importance yeah. of uh, mentorship. Amazing. Yeah, uh, really amazing. I got it. I a lot of control. When, um, and I was, he's speaking the importance of a mentor, and it, it just clicked, clicked into my head. I'm like, my mentor is my father. And he's been mentoring me since day one. And the way that he does it, everything that he, he says and uh, how he follows through with his word. I'm like, that's my mentor right there. When I, it's, it, for yeah. me, it reminds me of um, uh, one of my teachers. He says, sometimes we look at a clock, but we put it away. Or like when you grab your phone, you pick up your phone, you open it, unlock it, put it down, and tell the guy what's the time. And you're like, oh, one second. And you check your phone or you check your watch again. That first look, you yeah. didn't know what you're doing. It's, I don't know, force of habit or something. But only once you, you've been given that question, you, you start attentively doing it. Only once Sayyid Hussain Makki mentioned that mentorship is important, it clicked to my head. I was like, this whole time I've been mentored. And yeah. What an amazing mentor I have. Yeah. When he came uh, to Australia, they went, he went to Sydney first. And um, mm. he met uh, Sayyid Nasrallah. I don't know his first name. But in Masjid al-Zahra. Uh, Sayyid Hashim. Sayyid Hashim. <laughs> Sayyid Hashim. He met Sayyid Hashim and Sayyid Hashim was like, good luck, come here. You and your crew, there's like 13 of them. Like, you guys are going to Perth. It's like, why? And it's like, everyone's here. It's like, no, there's no one in Perth. I need you in Perth. And, um, but the journey of him leaving uh, Rafa was when he met Sayyid Muhammad uh, Baqir al-Hakim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. They went to Hajj and they saw him there. Uh, my father and my uncle and a few of the other people that live in Rafa, they saw Sayyidina Muhammad Baqir al-Hakim and they said to him, give us an ijazah to leave. Give us a permission to leave and go seek refuge in some other country. And he told them, look, I'll give you an ijazah on the one condition. He tells them, look around. If I was to send you all into one spot until you scream, how many voices will I have? He's like, you one voice. And he's like, well, if I split you up into different sections, one over there, one over there, one over there, all these scream, how many voices will I hear? 
kid if they change between voices always. It's like, if I give you ijazah, I want you to go to different countries and raise the voice of the debate in every country that you go. It's like, mm. your dua command is not recommended for you, it's logical for you now. Dua to wow. wasu, it's logical for you now. Any munasabah, celebration, commemoration of the Ahlul Bayt, it's not recommended, uh, it's logical for you. If you can uphold to that, I'll give you a justice. Like, of course, you have a door. If they're stuck in a desert for four years, they'll do anything. Yeah, they'll do anything to leave. Honestly, yeah, same here. Living in a tent uh, and all that likes. But it's the love for the Ahlul Bayt to actually push through above, above anything. Definitely. So when they came here, the first thing that they did, they went to... Masjid al-Zahrayb and he told him going to Perth. They went to Perth. Um, gets to Perth. Within a week, the, that whole group of them, they hired a church. The Muslim community here was very, um, like the Chia Muslim community was very small. I think the, there was there was a few families, but they haven't done anything uh, to a scale that's beyond their houses, maybe. But what, there was no center, there's not nothing. So they hired a church. They went to the, they invited the Sunni families and any Muslim that they can see. And they did a celebration of the birth of the Holy Prophet. And that was the first event until today. All of them speak about it. They all mentioned wow. that that was the most amazing night that we've ever had. They just landed, uh, they haven't sold everything else, but they managed to do yeah. a celebration for the birth of the Holy Prophet. So I'm that. That's, uh, this is my father. This is the, sh- the stories that he shares with me. Also, the business side. Uh, he worked for like four years and he's like, no, I want a business. And he opens like this little spice shop. And um, after four or five years, and uh, manages to get the visa for my mother and my, my sisters that came as well. And um, managed to open a shop. The language, he's like, I studied as much as I can because I knew I wanted to become a businessman. And he's like, I'm going to practice. I'm going to the library. I, he picked up so many shifts. He wasn't a truck mechanic, but he became a truck mechanic just to, because it was easy money. You don't have to talk in English. You just yeah, didn't go. That's right. And well, uh, honestly, the, when I hear the stories of the, the Iraqi community, I only mention Iraqi. I'm sure it's shared with all, among all the other cultures as well. Yeah, all refugees. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but because I'm involved with the Iraqi community, I have a lot of stories from them. I know a guy who's a pilot. But he works at any job he can get just to support his family. Just to get by, yeah, to make ends meet. Make ends meet. And I, to be able to do that for me is, I, when I see that, I'm like, yeah, this is an inspiration. Because it's not easy. Usually there's a, there's a sense of pride. Like, let's put myself in the arm graphic designer. You know, what's supposed to be working in this random job? Or I can be a teacher and still be working this job. It's like a job, it's a job. That's right. You do your thing, but you, you, you're doing it for what? To support your family for what? To get closer to our lost family time. You know, you do everything to go to the other time, it doesn't matter as long as you're following the guidelines. Yeah, we Iraqis have a saying, uh, like there's uh, there's nothing embarrassing in, in work. Like a job is a job. Okay, it's said, right? But to an extent, at the same time, they're like, for your kids, look, I don't want you to get any random job. You know? <laughs> but That's right. Obviously, because... Um, and I think I find that to be uh, amazing as well. Like we don't understand it until much later. Yeah. Like I only realized that maybe last year uh, uh-huh. why they said that. Like, oh, I, sh- I can just become a trader and make money and blah, blah, blah. But, um, or like just do whatever job I want. Yeah. Um, 
but they, they want you to have a good life. Yeah, they don't yeah. want you to struggle the same way they did. That's true. That's true. And uh, honestly, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. The reason I'm studying is my brother. And even my journey for studying, I'm one of those guys when I graduated school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like, uh, I don't know if I wanted to go to, well, I know I wanted to go to uni, but what do I study? I have no idea. I studied construction management initially. And um, after three months, I was like, ah, this is not for me. I liked it. It was, it, was, it was all right, but I didn't enjoy it. I was like, I can't see myself working with construction management. So I left it. Then I um, went back to uni the following year, and um, I did uh, commerce, studied business for a whole entire year. My dad comes to me and he's like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm studying uh, commerce. He's like, yeah, exactly. What are you doing? Why are you studying commerce? Like, with all respect to anyone who's, who's done commerce, all right? I know a few people. Yeah, yeah. But I'm speaking about, like, this is my father's life. I was like, well, there's like 13 options that I can become if I finish commerce. You know, business information systems, I can study that and become an accountant. And, you know, one of those ones I can specialize in. He's like, all right, Tom, show me. Show me this list of like 13, 14. I'm like, okay, all right, I'll show you. So I bring it up, I go to the website, Curtin University's website, find the list. He's like, all right, this is, uh, no, that's not good. That's not good. That's not good. There's no jobs in that. That's not good. Accounting. Accounting is good. You want to be an accountant? They're like, no, I'm an accountant. He's like, all right, that's not good. He's like, unless you want to be an accountant, what are you doing? Awesome. <laughs> uh, it just slapped me in the face, you know. It's like it's true. I don't yeah. want to be an accountant, and I, I see what he means with the other ones. That they actually, you know, it's not for me. It's not that great as well. Unless you want to seek something further, he's like, well, you uh, you're good at drawing. You're, if I have this artistic side to do graphic design, and it was very different from the the side that my friends were going through. They're like, no. Engineering, That's right. engineering, medicine. My dad's in graphic design, out of everything. Like, he's an architecture yeah. or graphic design. And I was like, architecture was interesting, but the process for, I don't know how it is over there, but yes, you do three years bachelor's, two years master's, and then you have to work, I think, for a year or two years, get, do another test, you only are qualified as an architect. Wow. I was like, I'd rather be a doctor, it's the same. Yeah, it's the same, same journey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, both of them are that many years. I was like, what's graphic design? Check it out. Three years. Sleep. And, and uh, subhanAllah, uh, it, was, it was great. It was very nice. Um, I challenged everything that they threw at me. They say, do an alcohol design. I'm like, I'm a Muslim. I, I'm not going to do an alcohol design. I'll do an orange juice. Like, okay, fine. Okay, we'll do um, they and I took it honestly as an opportunity every single time um, we were given a project it's very project based we give you a brief mm-hmm. and you go do a design regarding this brief and uh, yeah then they, they give you feedback so any opportunity that I had to advocate that brief uh, I took it Mm-hmm. And so one of them would like to do a cookbook. How can I do something for the end of the using a cookbook? And then yeah. I was thinking, oh, and shout out Ramadan's close by. So let me do Ramadan nights. Unfortunately, during Ramadan, shout out Ramadan, everyone chucks a feast, you know? And you would That's right. You <laughs> spread it's all feasts. Yeah, man. And um, so I was like, let me call it Ramadan nights. 
And in the beginning, I talked to them about what Shahra Ramadan is. And I did it. Alhamdulillah, those are the highlights for me. The way I, I, I see a degree, I don't look at the degree from the side of what job can I get. I look at what skill can I gain. So that way, if I get a job or not, I'm, I'm certain that I can get a job if I want to get a job. Honestly, those people that say you won't find a job, I've seen, I know friends who studied engineering and find a job in engineering in Perth, very challenging. Everyone flies yeah. over east just to get a job. But they, they found jobs after graduating because they have certainty that, look, I've studied this and I was going to help them. They found jobs. And others, no, no, not really. Yeah, I can I can say the connection between um, how your father's journey and his struggle has helped you to choose a path for your own life. And, uh, it's true, it's true. What, I, what I was going to ask next was what, what part of your father's mentorship, because I think I think that should be the focus for the podcast. I find it amazing that um, so many so many things in your life have been impacted heavily by your father, um, and how when you realize that he was actually mentoring you, it sparked something in you as well. Definitely. So you are a part of the Twelver Youth Group. Yeah. Um, now, why don't you tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll lead into how your father actually helped you in. Serving your community through an organization. He is the backbone of Tolva, honestly. So Tolva, the Tolva started because there was a there was an empty void in Perth. Everyone was saying that we need English programs. We need the youth are not understanding. The youth are disengaged, and um, from all communities, the Iraqi community, the Afghan community. The, all communities or mentions. And when you look at what's being offered in English, there's only one center that was doing that. It wasn't doing that constantly. And it was just doing uh, the major events in English and uh, mixing it uh, with pharmacy, with mixing with Arabic. They were doing three languages at the same time. Uh, tough effort. They've done it successfully. And uh, honestly, a good job. But the youth were similar. Like, yeah, they were attending here and there, a few of them. But it still wasn't something attractive for you. And the way that I see it is there needs to be a stepping stone for someone to be entering images. Because that's the way that I, I got into it. Everything for me had a stepping stone. One thing, subhanAllah, led to another. I was watching a motivational speech about some random guy. And from that comes spirituality. And I'm like, let me see see something from spirituality from our side and then it leads to me eventually watching the sheikh speak when I'm talking, talking when I was like 12 years old or something like that yeah I would, at that stage I didn't really consider it much to listen to Islamic lectures it was just that you're busy with school life you're a kid you games and whatnot. but I my father he maintained that the majalis constantly uh, like I said like the conversation Constantly, and ever since because I was born in Perth, so ever since I was born, they were taking me to every single measure. It was, it was completely normal for me. Uh, 
Arabic school on the weekend. So I could understand Arabic. I could, it wasn't that great, though, because I tell my dad, I'm like, well, I can speak Arabic with you. Yeah, I can speak to the community guys, but when he gets up on the, and he speaks in Arabic, he changes it to something else. I don't know what else he does. He changes it. Why is he speaking using such complicated words? <laughs> like, by the time I figure out one of the words, he's already said in 10 other ones. And yeah, so, he's, he's onto a new sentence, new topic. And <laughs> I'm like, all right, so what was I? And I'm trying to link it back. And so that was like, a, I'm sure it's shared among the, everyone else as well. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, that, that was the, the process of what's happening. They maintained Arabic until the past yeah, three years. Or, since Tova started, we started introducing English. Um, even to introduce it was a, a challenging thing. Because they had the mentality that, look, I was speaking Arabic and you can learn. I was thinking, like, look, like, the community is here. They're not all like, yeah. I'll go to them, like, why don't you guys do something in English? So my dad, my dad agrees, he's like, yeah, we need to do something in English. And he tells uh, the group there, the community, they're like, look, let them just listen to Arabic and they'll understand. Yes, did, did, did you find that, um, did you find that culture had a, a big role to play in that, in that? The culture influenced that decision yeah, definitely. By, by the community? Definitely. Because they, they wanted all their kids to speak Arabic um, from the Iraqi side. They all wanted their kids to speak Arabic and their kids weren't speaking Arabic. Not words, but like, you know, like uh, a few words Arabic and then like another word English and you know, the, yep. the mix, mix and match. Their kids were at that stage and so they wanted them to become better at it. So their mentality was, you know, just sit and listen and you're done. And then I told my dad, I was like, brother, if you give me a book in French or you make me listen to something in French, I'm still not going to understand it. You know, even if I had no one or two words, which I don't, but if I did, you know, like, I still won't be able to understand the deeper meaning. So I'm like, Arabic is too rich for me to, uh, to try to understand. Honestly, mm. what a beautiful language it is. Yes. I was like, I need something... Uh, in my language, you know, to kind of like speak to the people according to their ability. My ability is English. The youth, their ability is English. We need something in English. Now we have another problem. We don't have English speakers. We don't have a, a sheikh that speaks uh, English. Now we have two sheikhs in, in Perth um, in the Iraqi community, and it's just uh, Arabic and Farsi that they speak, and. So there's nothing really in English. Also. So, so the, there was more lacking than just English programs. Yes. There were, there were the, facilities, so the facilities to run those programs. Those were lacking as well. Yes, definitely. So even if we were to offer something in English, who's going to get up and speak? So we had to rely on trying to get scholars to come all the way to Perth. Now, Perth, even coming from Sydney, is a challenge because I felt flooded. It is. You know, the airline was to bring someone from overseas. Like, I said, all right, no problem. Where are you guys based? But, man, I'm going to need a whole day for traveling, you know? <laughs> and then yeah, the ticket prices on top of it. is a bit far from everywhere else. It's really far. It was good during COVID because uh, kind of like, it was like a, <laughs> we had the least amount of restrictions from every other state. But yeah, it's challenging when it comes to bringing scholar in. So... Uh, for that, um, we had to have people to step up. No one was willing to step up. My dad comes to me and like, step up. 
Like, well, I don't, I mean, I don't want to see now. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. It's like, no, you do not just, you know, he just seems like you can do it. Just get up there. And at that time, there was a, there was a spot from a jealousy camp for a visit. And he was giving, he was doing, it was after Muharram. After Muharram, he, he was giving lectures. And then he was like, look, look at me. Just open the door. Create a door, open a door, and just take a step. It's like Sahib is the one who's going to take care, 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 take care of the rest of it. And he's like, just, you need to offer them something, and that's it. The rest is not up to you. You just be there, you know? And that's how it's been since day one. It's, uh, I think, in February 22nd or 25th. It's going to be three years for 12 Since day one, we've had that same approach. All of us would like the numbers doesn't matter. Whatever the number comes, if there's just one person there, or if it's filled with like 50 or 60 people or less or more, it doesn't matter. Uh, the whole the person that's actually hosting it is Sahib Zaman. But he's, right. he's just doing it. He's given us the ability to do it on, on his behalf. And Alhamdulillah, because of that, I, I see that every, every time, every night, every Thursday night, that we, that we do the, the programs, there's a special number in that place. Mm. Could be from the lights are very bright, but, um, but there's actually, <laughs> you just feel the sense of relaxation, the sense of calmness, the sense of, um, I'm in this spiritual aura. Everything is different. And it's just a, you look around and just see, just young guys, from day one, I told the guys, look, none of your friends are calm. Mm. They were so happy. They were, that's that's the selling point at all. But like, so the parents have yeah. all respect. They need a place where they can relax. They need a place where they can be themselves. They need a place where they, uh, like we went out. We had uh, we started off uh, in, in a house. It was a house that they bought for the community. So the community, they, which is my father's family community. Uh, there's like six or seven of them that are running Hassaniyat Imam Hassan and Mushtar They bought a land, and in that land is a house, and we're applying for it to become, for us to be able to build the center. But uh, it's not allowed to be used as a public space camp. We're still waiting. We're in the final stretch. It's been three years tackling with the council and the courts. So, inshallah, I think there's 20 more days until we get the, a reply from the court. And if it goes well, inshallah, through the du'a, yourself and anyone that's listening, uh, if it gets uh, approval, we'll build a hasaniyah for Imam Hassan al-Mushtaba and uh, a center uh, for the youth to be active participants of it. That would so, be amazing. Because of that land unable to be used as a public space, my, my father was like, you need a space? Here's this space. Use the house. It's just the youth. How many youth do we have? Five, ten? Go use the house. And um, so we used the house and uh, decorated it. I was like, who should you do anything? What? It's like, yeah. I was like, I'm getting a pool table, I'm getting a ping pong table, and, yeah, and we're going to have activities. And uh, it started off, uh, I, I didn't, after school, I just went straight to uni. Because my relationships with my friends were, wasn't, I didn't really have that friendship where, I had a few guys that we still hanged out with, but, we made a friends. 
And um, for missionary guys my age, honestly, I don't know where they are. I'm 24 year old, looking for another guy my age. I don't know where they are. I haven't seen them yet. Is it? Is it that they don't exist or is it that no, they they're exist. not drawn into the same circles that you're in? They exist. But what circles they are, I have no idea. Because I know their parents. And I know their parents have kids. And um, I don't know where they, their kids are. I'm like, oh, where's your son? You know, like, do you have a son? He's like, yeah. I'm like, all right. Someone sent to him. Tell him about this program. You know? And um, but I still, I'm still yet to see him. I see older and I see younger. But my age group, subhanAllah, they just disappeared. So what do you what do you think the reason for that is? There was a lot of the I think it's how they started. When the Iraqi community first came and settled, they had the mentality they were going to come back. They're gonna go back to Iraq. Yep. And go back to Iraq, that's right. And my dad actually told me this himself. It's like everyone came with the mentality that after maybe a few years, like back to Iraq. 2003 came, just go back to Iraq. A lot of families did. We went back to Iraq for uh, three months. My dad's like, You guys go, three months, check it out. He had to run the business. Um, he found a slice shop and he managed to open a supermarket after it. And the supermarket, alhamdulillah, was going well and uh, he was competing with Woolies. And uh, mm. like it was actually really well. And uh, that supermarket, I'll just give you a little background story. We were running for like 12 years, but he opened a furniture shop after it, he opened a bridal shop after it, and then he lost them all, bankruptcy. Wow. Yeah. But there's a, there's a highlight here about ah, my mother, the gem. Mm. She, they, they lost their house, they lost few businesses, they lost everything. And then uh, my mom was like to my dad, we had fun with it. No, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry. And so my dad, he's got the connections with other businesses. And he found a job as a manager of an IGA store, a manager of a farm jacks, kept on working. Three, four years later, opens up another business. I think five years opens up another business, which is a business that we have now. And he says, it's like I was tested and handled it. He's like, and Mu'min is always tested with something. Mu'tada, Mu'tada, you know? He's like, alhamdulillah, I lost everything. But he's like, it showed me a lot of things. It showed me a lot of the true faces. It showed me my ability. It showed me, he's like, but I never gave up my trust. And he's like, you should never give up your trust. Talking about Allah. And yeah, he built up the current business center. He has Akida Lights. Uh, and it's now the largest nuclear company in Western Australia. So we wholesale everything. We supply over 500 stores and um, it's been running for 10 years now. And uh, I still, like, how can I not be That's amazing. by this man, you know? Yeah, it's, it's amazing how um, every challenge your father faced, he, he rode the wave and it didn't, he didn't let it bring him down. Nah, not at all. Uh, like and I, I, like you mentioned earlier, that's um, very common with refugee families or migrant families from first and second generation migrants. They faced more trials than I think any other migrants did. They they were thrown into the pits wherever they went. Honestly, uh, like from Iraq to Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia to Sydney, Perth, Melbourne, whatever. 
and to build a life, um, to build a life for their children and to live in a foreign country where they don't speak the language, they don't, Honestly. they don't know the way of life here, they don't know the culture. I, I can't imagine like myself for, going to another country out of nowhere and, have, and I don't speak their language. Exactly. Like how, how would they have felt coming here yeah. initially? And now look at them. They've got kids and families and they're, they're building themselves like, like your father. He has a business which is successful, mashallah. And, you know, like for them to persevere through all of that, it's, uh, it's very inspiring. Yes. And like for us to take lessons from that is very important. 100%, 100%. All that effort can't go to waste. And that's why, to me, my father's stories, I, can, I share it wherever, wherever I can. At uni, um, I shared it. Like, like uh, tell someone, we don't know. Like, oh, I'm talking about my dad. You know, like, wherever I go, I can have the opportunity. I feel like indebted to them. Like, I'm here because of the everything. Everything you really expect to have. You know, but, do you ever feel do you ever feel like you you'll be able to repay your father? No, no, I don't know. I don't think. Uh, what have I offered him? Mm. No. What what kind of impact has he had to the extent where you don't think you'll be able to ever repay him? I don't know, man. It's a, it's a tough question mm. because. Uh, See, he's been involved in every decision, but not like, you know, like, usually you talk to your father. I don't know. I talk to my father, like, he tells me straight out, I was like, treat me as a friend. And not tell me anything more. And um, he gives uh, honest opinion. He shares the truth. It's like, look, I reckon this is what the outcome might be. Uh, I would personally go for this, considering the points that you mentioned, you mentioned to me. But it's like, it ends your choice. He's like, they have come in. Every time something happens, he's not afraid to share it with me. Like, mm. he would tell me, like, this happened. This is a challenge. What do you think we should do? And like, the older that I got, the more he got me involved in the decisions. Like, like, the business kind of is like, like, what do you reckon our next step should be? I'm like, you tell me? He's like, you're the, yeah. you're, the, you're, the, you're the one with the best experience. I'm sure. What am I? He's like, oh, tell me, what do you think? I was like, let's try this out and try this out, I promise you. Like, yeah, let's go for it. We try it out. And he gives me that opportunity. So he's, he's literally, I don't know, Yanni, I feel like everything, like, you know, like the rights of, uh, of your father, as a Monsignor you know, Abedin, so I'm all in his It's like everything that's good for me stems from your father. That's right. Uh, I see I see everything related back to him. So do you find that him giving you that, that leeway and that responsibility has helped you to, to begin to maybe emulate him if that's what you want to do? I think so. I, I think so. Because initially how he started was he would, he would tell me that this is, look at this, we'll just look at it from an observational perspective, like observe what's happening, see this is what's happening, and I'm just like, we let it be. And then from there he tells me, like, if you have this issue, you uh, you need to work on this side of business and um, to work on it. You know, he was, that's what I meant, like he's like my best friend in a sense, but he wasn't afraid to tell me that I'm, I'm doing something wrong, but he does it in such a way that's, that's like, first of all, it's my father telling me. And uh, second of all, he's telling me because I, I know he only wants the best for me. 
não fala hoje da minha alma, mas não, não uh, sem falo, uh, healthy falo, hoje da minha alma, já So, after the observational side, he starts getting me, he explains it, he explains it to me, he's like, this is what's happened. Remember that thing that happened before, he explains it, and the older I got, he started getting me involved in sort of, what do you think we should do, how should we do it, what are the steps, but, but not that. And he tweaks someone so that until I, I reach the stage where he's like, do whatever you want, do whatever you want, you take care of it. And uh, I, I feel that I'm confident enough to take care of it if he's uh, just by him saying it. So, yeah. What, what kind of uh, assistance has he given you in, in you giving uh, talks or lectures to the youth now with 12 for the past three years? What, how has he helped you in that journey for you? Because I, I imagine it's not, it's not an easy thing to do lecturing. Uh, especially sitting on the pulpit, it's, it's, a, it's a massive responsibility and uh, it's, it's not for everyone. If, if we're honest with ourselves, it's not for everyone. That's true. Um, that is very true. So how have you found, how have you found the ability to, to be able to take hold of that responsibility and has your father impacted you in any way? See, when I was uh, probably like 10 years old, less, 8 years old maybe, my dad would, uh, he, the storeroom for the shop was the house. Mm. And, um, so there was be like stacks of rice stacked up high, you know, and I was this little kid, I'd climb on top of the rice, and my dad's like, yeah, Edmund, Edmund, do that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. And I started screaming, and I can just imagine how terrible it might have sounded, you know, this little kid with a speaking voice <laughs> screaming his head off, low, I can low, and then, He's just motivating me. My mom's motivating me. He's like, hey, how do we get going? And, um, yeah, so, like, from a young age, he's just encouraged. And then, like, whenever we would drive and he'd take us somewhere, like, he was a very busy, busy man. The, the supermarket was seven days a week. From nine, uh, from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. Every day of the year. And he did that for 12 years. Wow. But the time that he spent with me, like, it was quality that to the degree I don't feel like I lost any moment to that. You know, like the drives that he takes, he would talk to us and share stories with us and share jokes with us. And me and my brother, that is my younger brother. And um, yeah, he would put the Latmeya on and uh, we would start like uh, reciting with it as well. And we're just screaming our heads of me and my brothers had this little competition with like, I remember the Latmeya, it's like being a gymnasty one now. The, 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 the stands of horror. Classic, yeah. And uh, I'm just screaming, you know, like, like in this, this terrible voice, you know. And <laughs> he's just like laughing and he's just enjoying it. And yes, yeah, so it's like every moment he had that he spent with us, he would motivate us. He was like, hey, let's go do this. When it comes to the monastic words, he is like, let's go to Hassan. Let's go to Hassan. Uh, when you get up and do a shower or a husa, I'm like, oh, he's <laughs> like, yeah, your mom will teach you how to say it, and then you get up and do mm. it. So, me and my brother would go up there and uh, we, we do, and I'm like, little bit kids, you know, and the Iraqis just, yeah. they, they love their bossat, you know, they love the you know, shower. That's right. So, we That's get up right. there, we say it, first time was good. Second, when I saw the comes, it's like, yeah, let go on again. Uh, my brother does his, very good. I get up there, 
one of the words I've written it, I couldn't say it properly, and I didn't know how to read properly like, to that degree. So I wrote in English, mm. but transliteration. Yeah. I get up to that point, and I stop. And I'm probably like 10 years old, 12 years old. This. But I just realized all my examples are 8, 10, 12. I'm sure there's years in between that I did something, but under this, it's a fast. <laughs> so I'm getting up there, and I have this little paper with me, and I'm stuck. I don't know what that word is supposed to be for, for the horse. And then uh, yeah. the one of the guys in the community is like, let me help you out. Let me read it. Looks just this English. I'm like, yeah, I know. So I, I, I just stopped halfway, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I just sat down and uh, turned around, and that's it. That was my end of my participation. But mm. it didn't stop me at all. You know, like, for me, the, the khidma of the head of is it's an honor for me. And the love for it started in the community. I would, he was like, uh, he told me about my grandfather. My grandfather, Allah, his name is Latif. Allah, and they named me after. No way, so yeah. So you're named after your grandfather. And then if I'm speaking to my about my father the way I am, it's because my father speaks about his father that way. Mm. There are things that he's like the way he speaks about his father, honestly, the things that he's done it's a it's really really inspirational. So not only do I have my father's shoes to fill, I got my grandfather's shoes to fill, and I have his name on top of it. So he was like your know, grandfather when he first started he had a, he was uh he was known as Hajj Latif and he was like, he had a coffee shop. Coffee shop, yep. And um, yeah, he's like, that's your grandfather. When you get, get involved in the helping me out with the chai and everything, you have to say, I was like, done, that's it. I was up. Hmm. And um, so, yeah, I would I started out by doing wash for the chai. I'd collect the empty cups. And um, from a young age, I, I remember hearing in the, in, in the Majalis that. Sahib al-Zaman, Muhammad Mahdi, Ajallah Ta'ala, Farajah al-Sharif, is in every majlis. And Fatima Zahra, Salamullah Alayhi, is in every majlis. In my mind, right. the love that I had for the Ahlul Bayt is to me for my parents, from attending this majlis and participating in, in my terrible forms. I was like, what if that cup that I'm going to give is to Sahib al-Zaman himself? Wow. And, uh, and so... That continued for from that age. I, I, I don't, until today, I do. Uh, even if I get up on, on the minbar and I recite something, I go down and I collect the chat. That for me, that's the, that's the greatest honor because, and I do with a, a huge smile on my face because I'm like, of course. <laughs> maybe this is Sahib's one. How do I know? You know? That's right. So, the opportunity from the whole community in general, the push from my father to just get up and do it. And the participation and the involvement that I had in the community from just collecting the child, where I stepped it up and next level, I, I started pouring the child and handing it up. No way. My hands weren't shaking <laughs> anymore. Um, but uh, it, when, when I have to get up and recite it, I tell someone else to hand out the child so I collect the wash instead. Mm. But, yeah, I think it's it's... His push and the opportunity given from the community at the same time. I am indebted to the whole community. The, the main reciter of our community, Abu Asad, Hajj Abu Asad, amazing, most amazing voice. He would, I mean, he can just make anyone cry from the way he recites. And the Nari, I haven't had anyone do a Nari as beautiful as his. It's absolutely beautiful. And I remember 
And he, because we, we didn't really have, like, the, the sheikhs, only one of them would recite Nawa'i. Um, the other sheikh was more of the teaching Islam instead. So they have different fields yeah. that they're taking care of. So there's another center they, they, they had the sheikh observed. For our center, we didn't have anyone. So my, my father and the rest of them, they were like, Anjir, what's your beautiful voice? It's up to you now. So for the past 25 years, he's been the person, the main reciter. And he would recite all the majalis. And uh, from there, I drew a huge love for Nara, and a huge love for the majlis in itself. I remember, because he's the one that, the, my first time that I cried for a majlis was uh, because of him. Yeah, the voice that he, he had, it was a story of the Prophet Abbas now. Um, the one uh, told me how to talk, and uh, mm-hmm. as a young kid, it really inspired me. Till today, of course, every year one has more of an effect than the other. For example, this year, Fatima Ali, the daughter of Hussein that stayed in Medina, and like just I don't know what it is, but this year that hit me the hardest. The fact that she stayed behind and she was waiting and excited for her father to come back. And uh, Sheikh Zaman Hasnawi, I think he said he was. Sheikh Zaman Hasnawi, yeah. He does one that's really amazing. I know which one you're talking about. Uh, yeah, yeah. This year, that, that was the uh, one that saw my heart. Absolutely true. Yeah. So I developed a love of Na'i from there. And uh, in the English world, the Na'i isn't, isn't really, I don't know, I haven't, I won't share some, I thought amazing at it. The best English Na'i ever. That's right. And Haji um, uh, Muhammad Talib. Haji Muhammad Talib, yeah. I only discovered him uh, this year. So, mm. uh, and like, he's a. You, got, you guys should invite him to Perth. Right, <laughs> bring everyone, man. Just, just reduce the, the time in 5,000 and make it more attractive and bring everyone. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah, so from there, develop that love for participation. And when it comes to the English, I knew that I don't have the, the skill set for it. So I applied, I, I would watch um, I would watch videos of scholars reciting all the time of the uh, my greatest um, the guy that like everyone starts with when they like when I was in school I was I was in uh, Sunni school and uh, leaning towards the Wahhabi side because there's there's no Shias going to yeah. as a result of that I'm studying master of teaching hopefully we can offer something in the future and I'll be ready to offer service inshallah inshallah um, but you're challenged with the uh, you challenge your beliefs at a school level by the teachers not the students students don't know anything Teacher comes in the way, bring on a kid. I'm like, mm. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm primary school, I remember. I just want to So I go home. Mom, dad, one of my parents said, okay, this is the reason. My uncle, my uncle's a great teacher as well. I'm very into uh, studying the religion. So he would teach me a lot of things. A lot of things that he told me back then, I still practice today. Like uh, little small things that you wouldn't consider. Like, we'll do. It's like always saying, yeah. And uh, and then like Alhamdulillah, he suggests for the students that the first thing you do is maintain all the time. 
You know, it's like, it's really right. amazing stuff. So, yeah, you're trying to really believe so you pick it up over the years. I kind of learned to test things. Obviously, nothing. And when it's compared to the, what knowledge is and what I know, I don't know anything. And the more I, the more I study, the more I realize I know nothing. Honestly, the, yeah, that's that's usually how it is. The more you read, the more you learn. You're like, okay, I actually, I actually don't know anything. anything. Well, this Muharram did it for me, and uh, because I, I after that I studied, um, I, I'm currently studying uh, the Ihawza program uh, by yep. Sheikh Mansour Al amazing teacher. That's right. And so yep. I'm doing he a is. diploma currently. And uh, good on you, man. Allah, um, but I, I need it. Um, because um, someone had to step up for the English programs, so I I took they like let them up and talk to us, tell us something. I remember the first thing that we did it. It was like five hours, and we're like, "Yeah, what are we doing? No, what do you guys want to do? Okay, let's do it." I was like, "I can do the art fashion. Let's do the art fashion." So we started reciting art fashion, and then someone was like, "Oh, let's do let's do the art." I can recite art. And then we just make a circle. So we like travel. So we make a circle. We're like ask, ask questions. And yeah, and they're like, how do I do wudu? So we talk about wudu. And how do I do this? What's this? What's this? What's this? And then from there, mm. I'm like, okay. So these are the questions I have to research. Go and research. Next day comes. These are the answers from what I found. And it developed and. Now it's been two years, heading to our third. And every day, every Thursday, we've been maintaining that. Our numbers grew from five to uh, 10 to 13. that reached 50 and maintained around 30 average, 40 average. But the beautiful thing is they all show up. Everyone, they message us on Instagram. People message the, the guys that attend. They're like, where's all the old men? You know, like, where are they? Like, mm-hmm. No, this is a youth program purely for the youth and actually run by the youth because we have some programs like youth for the youth by the youth and it's like an old man running it's run by the oldies yeah 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 they make themselves young but <laughs> no but that's 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 really amazing um that you you were able to take that initiative and take on that task and uh, that that massive responsibility. It, I can't imagine how heavy the weight must be on your shoulders to be um, it's not in charge of such a. That's massive, a, that's a it, it's a massive responsibility. It is a responsibility. This uh, all I did was open the door. The rest is not on me. So I was not taken care of. Honestly, when people are like, how do you do? I'm like, what do I don't know what I'm doing. Actually, I just attend the program like you, like you. I don't do anything more special than that. And that's the reality of it. Yeah. What is it? I just attend them. I just I'm I'm with you guys. You see what I do. You can do the same thing. Yeah. But it is a responsibility in the sense that you have to make time for it. But time That's is right. an excuse we use. You know. Like, it is. It really is. Time is. There's there's plenty of time. There's 24 hours in a day. You can you can make time for anything. You can make a lot of time for anything. So I was like, it's just one night. I have all these nights that I have. Yeah, and uh, I can do it. That's amazing. Now, what would you, if you were to give advice to to the youth um, about the importance of respecting your father, 
the importance of learning from your father, the importance of, you know, honoring your father, what would you say to them? Yeah, I don't see my request to be anything positive in the beginning. I wouldn't have asked you if I didn't think it was. Well, uh, I don't know. It's just that. And for me, the, the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the main thing because, yeah, I, I, I aim to please my father, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because from Allah's mercy, I'm here today. I remember one of his girls mentioned it, and I mentioned it all the time, just to remind myself, but if meant for someone that is, I'll find it also, but mainly for myself. It says, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was to punish us immediately for the sins that we committed, I wouldn't be there. None of us would be here. But because of his mercy and because of the love that he has for his creation, that we exist. How can I not be thankful for that? Mm. And how do I show my gratitude? Let me follow what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent, sent me. What, how do I give me some guidance? The Quran is a guidance for mankind. What does the Quran tell me? The Quran says, obey Allah. How? Obey your parents. Follow their ways. Now, of course, if your parents is Tell me to do something. Someone's going to say, "Well, my dad he told me to do things that are anti-Islamic." Oh, it's a bad rule. Of course. And if someone's telling you to do, the the ruling is if your father is telling you, your parents are telling you to do something. It's within the Islamic grand resort. But they're telling you to do something haram, then now your your obligations to Allah is. So that's right. Through the respect of your parents, through the the cheerfulness that you give your parents. I can remember reading a hadith somewhere or hearing it somewhere, one of the two. It says that the Prophet says it's better to serve your parents day and night than to go to jihad for a whole year. Yep. And then another one that I mentioned to the young ones is to kiss your parents on the forehead. Because I remember learning it myself until today I practice it. My dad and uh, I still do. You know, yeah, of course. I don't say anything, it's fun, but I go and then I see my father, I greet him, I kiss him, I kiss him on the forehead. Why was the story behind it? I can't afford to go to hell, and nor do I want heaven That's for right. the sake of going to heaven, but I want the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look what He offers to the people that do this. They say the salat that we all have to cross, which is that the bridge that's thinner than a hand, sharper than a sword, and right under if you fall, you fall to the pits of hellfire. But if you manage to cross them, alhamdulillah, you made it to the gates of heaven. If that salah, if you want it to become a bridge for you that fits your length, that fits your width, kiss your parents on the forehead. Mm. Something so simple. Not only do you, why do you get that offered for me, the way that I see that reward is not something that's like, I want to do for that reward. No, it's like Allah has put that reward there to show us that, look, I love I the love this of your parents. It's something good. It's going to benefit you because I want you to do it. Mm. And at the end, I just want to please Allah. So, of course, we you do that. You also please your father. 
your father in, in his heart, like I can even imagine, inshallah, for all this is children, if my son was to come up to me and kiss me on the forehead, how much love am I going to have for this child? Yeah, of course. You know, so like, that's the father. And what does a father do? He doesn't do out for you. Your success is through your parents' do out, whether they did or alive or offer something to them. Mm-hmm. And there's so many stories. Like Ayatollah Bihjit, someone went to Ayatollah Bihjit, Ayatollah Ali, says, uh, he was a scholar, a student uh, uh, of the house as well. He's like, Ayatollah Shaykh now, I don't know what he said exactly, but uh, he greeted him. But he said, I have an issue and I can't see any way out of it. He's like, uh, where's your family? Where's your family? Where's your mom? Where's your father? Where are they alive? He's like, yeah. He's like, call them, tell them to move out. And that Sheikh Sayyid, he's a Sayyid, Muhammad and everything, he called mm. his parents and um, they made the dua and he's like, SubhanAllah, it just happened immediately. Like it just got resolved through the dua of his parents. Ali al Akbar returns from the battlefield through the dua of his mother. Through the dua of a mother, yeah. So it's like it's repeated constantly. Everything goes back to your parents. Like, how, how can you not want to please your parents? Definitely. Definitely. Latif, thank you very much. Um, it was amazing hearing how, how much of an influence your father has had on your life and how successful you are from the sacrifices of your father and the struggles of your father. It was amazing, amazing listening to your story. And I would definitely love to have you back on. Thank you very much, Latif. Well, thank you so much for your opportunity. That's, that's been amazing and keep up the awesome work. Uh, I love seeing the things that you do. It's, it's programs like yours that inspire me and uh, it's really good. It's really beautiful. Keep I really appreciate up. that. I appreciate that, man. Stimulate Your Mind is proudly presented to you by LOF Productions. For more of our podcasts where we try to cover all the interesting topics happening all over the globe and also the personal stories of people right here in our own backyard. Subscribe to Stimulate Your Mind on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. See you guys in a little while.